welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister, Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast. And today, we are going to be talking about Black cinema history. Going to be fun. Emma, how are you today? I am doing lovely. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Doing well. Can't wait to cover a few exciting topics. Yeah, this was, to me, a really important video to cover. And it was one of those where I'm like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to fit in so much important information in this one video, and we can't. So overall, we just decided to focus on kind of a few things, and hopefully maybe maybe in a later episode we can expand on more topics in Black cinema history. But some of these things that I wanted to talk about are just kind of, to me, big points or things that I feel like people ask a lot about or that I feel like are contended a little, um, mainly the history of blackface and why it is a racist concept. So to me, that's kind of a big one. We're also going to review some major strides in early black cinema history. We're going to talk about some of our favorite historical African-American Academy Award winners, some kind of big breakthroughs. And we're going to talk about some of our Newer favorite stars, and again, some more movie recommendations because who doesn't love movie recommendations? And this is something really important I want to bring up. A lot of people think that a lot of white individuals think, okay, I have to ask my black friends to educate me, and it is not your black friend's job to educate you. There are so many resources out there to learn. I, a lot of these things I knew, but I had to brush up on myself and it's okay to not know everything. And it's okay to admit that we have learning curves. So yeah, this is just kind of one extra tool out there if it's something you're interested in. And again, I'm not perfect. There's a lot I need to learn, but some of these things I think are important to go over for sure. Yeah. Two white folks, hopefully educating and helping spread the word to, you know, people of all races, especially other white folks who might not be as familiar with the history of uh, black cinema. So yeah, very, very needed episode, I would say. And the first thing that you mentioned was the history of blackface. Let's get into it. Yeah. So the history of blackface, this is really important to me because disturbingly enough, it's still, I wouldn't say prevalent, but I mean, it's still in use here and there. Blackface, brownface, but we're definitely going to focus mainly on blackface. So, history of blackface. And this is kind of the explanation of its history and why it's so connected with racism. A lot of people, not well, not me personally, but I'm sure there are people out there who are like, oh, you know, there's whiteface too. Like, 
you know, like it's not offense. I don't know. All you lives know? matter. There, there's, yeah, there's ignorant <laughs> people out there that are going to question why it's offensive. And here's your history for you in case people do question that. So blackface by definition is when people darken their skin with historically shoe polish, grease paint, or burnt cork. But now, you know, of course, with the magic of makeup, there's lots of ways you can be racist. Also painted enlarged features such as lips or eyebrows. So just kind of like exaggerated features. The definition can kind of extend to, how do I put this? Impressions as well. When you do kind of exaggerated and inappropriate. Yeah, caricature of a stereotype. So it's kind of broad, but that's kind of its roots. So the peak of blackface happened really when there was this new demand for equality by newly freed slaves in America. And it was really actually used by white people to degrade black people. Really just very pure example of the form of the wheel of power and control the reason of that is, is because you are taking this picture of African-American people and visually illustrating it and acting it out as people that are not fully human and that they're a character and that taking things that are not true and attaching it to that group of people. The earliest, earliest, earliest example that's around is back to Shakespeare in the play Othello, which is a play about a black man. And that's kind of, I don't want to say where it totally started. I'm sure it's earlier than that, but that's an early documentation. And then it was initially brought over by to America by European immigrants in the 1700s. And then, so one big prominent example of blackface was by Thomas Dartmouth Rice, who performed in blackface during the 1800s. He was an actor born in New York, and he's named as the father of minstrels and (laughs) and he would travel to the south and observe slaves and then he created this black stage character called Jim Crow in 1830 and this character was in blackface and used extremely exaggerated and unintelligible speaking clownish movements and actions And that is where Jim Crow comes from. And if that word sounds familiar to you, it is because we have this thing called Jim Crow laws that were essentially legalized segregation. And it was named after that character, of course. And it existed for about 100 years after the Civil War. So Civil War, basically the end of the Civil War until 1968. What it was meant to do was to restrict the abilities of former slaves and their ability to basically be an American citizen. So those laws really marginalized African-Americans. And with those laws, African-Americans couldn't vote. They couldn't hold certain jobs. They couldn't get education. They couldn't have really any of the same opportunities as white individuals. People who tried to protest against Jim Crow laws were arrested, sent to jail, given fines, some even led to death. So that is where that term comes from. But Jim Crow wasn't the only type of 
negative stereotype or caricature out there. Jim Crow is definitely one of them, the archetype of the singing, dancing fool, essentially. There was also an archetype called Mammy, which was considered a black, overweight, loud, and motherly woman. And we see this archetype carry over into an actual black character, Mammy, in Gone with the Wind. And I do want to put this little note here. If you've ever seen Gone with the Wind, okay, I feel conflicted because I, the character Mammy, the the idea behind Mammy is fantastic. She's really the only one that stands up to Scarlett O'Hara, who's just awful. And she's a great character, but the way that they had Hattie McDaniel play her, it, it again, it, it comes off like a caricature. It's just so unrealistic. And if you've ever heard Hattie McDaniel talk, especially after she received her Oscar, I believe that speech is up. She is the most eloquent, most wonderful, well-spoken person. And it just, it hurts me to see them ask her to act that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. That actually reminds me of another person that I was looking into a little bit of their history yesterday, but her name was Lillian Randolph. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean you always kind of think about these older movies and how they really portray people of different races. And as a white person, when I watch them, it doesn't always register for me like, oh, that's not how it actually is. You know, these people were just as eloquent as the most eloquent people are today, you know? And so, I mean, everything was controlled by white people, essentially, in the movie business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So how do you think they're going to portray these characters do you think that they're gonna like give them any type of credit or allow them to be in any type of strong role which i think goes back to why that film from last week was so influential the one from the 30s what was it called yeah it was uh, um, imitation of life imitation of life why imitation of, yeah why that was such an important movie just because i think it really showed black people in a different light but yeah interesting point to to note of the the archetypical sort of characters, Mammy, and, and, and just how opposite it was from the actresses themselves. Definitely. Also, again, kind of the roots of racism really came out because a lot of the blackface artists were Irish immigrants, particularly new immigrants to kind of the Northeast New York-ish area and not the South. And what's interesting is, is that these immigrants that would use blackface, used it as a tool to differentiate themselves from how low class they were perceived. So they, in turn, picked on a group of people that they tried to oppress as lower than themselves and affirmed their own whiteness and their superiority to people that they tried to view as lower than themselves. So that was a you know, very overt way of exerting power over a group of people. But very interesting, too, to see kind of the prejudices within white America at that time and the measures that were taken to further enforce racism. Let's talk about a very, very, probably the most controversial movie of all time. I don't even know. Yeah. It was <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, blackface was you know, performed in these minstrel shows all around, right? Well, America begins to progress and we start to get into the movies. And so blackface then transferred from theater to film. 
there's a film by D.W. Griffith called Birth of a Nation that came out in 1915. And it is a very racist film. But what's difficult about this is that it was a smash success at the time. And here's why. It was the first 12-reel film ever made, and it was three hours long. So it was the longest movie made up at that point, which is actually, I mean, that's a pretty long movie, even by today's standards. Totally. To think 1915, that's insane. And it covers a lot. It does the assassination of Lincoln, Civil War reconstruction years. It's about a northern family versus a southern family. There's an intermission. And they had a musical score set up for an orchestra. Keep in mind that sound wasn't synced to movies at the time. So a lot of theaters had in-house bands or musicians that would play along. And they were given this music to play along with the movie for a more universal experience. So again, another early example of how important the score was. Yeah, and so they used a lot of blackface for the black characters, and these characters were portrayed as unintelligent, as sexual assaultists towards white women, and they presented the Ku Klux Klan, or the KKK, as a heroic force, which is all sorts of problems. Again, you're now, not only that, not only are you taking these racist ideas that are kind of on a smaller scale of individualized theaters, but now you're bringing it to a mass, more viewable national market of film. So very problematic. There were many major protests by black individuals, particularly one that happened in Boston. The NAACP, which was actually started in 1909. I don't know if people know that, but that organization was started way before the civil rights era. The NAACP attempted to ban the film It was unsuccessful. The movie really revived the KKK, and the stereotypes became so powerful that they used it to be a recruiting tool for why you should join the KKK. So disgusting movie, disgusting message, but I hope you can see why it was problematic because the movie was seen as so good. I mean, that's actually a lot. Like, I'm looking, Assassination of Lincoln, Civil War Reconstruction Years, like, that alone in 1915, that would totally pull people to go see a movie because you're seeing historical stuff, you're seeing historical fiction. Yeah, there's a lot. It's an epic film. And it's unfortunate that it did such a bad job of (laughs) accurately portraying African Americans and Mm -hmm. former slaves. Yeah. I guess just in addition to the history of the KKK and just how persuasive, how influential this movie was, I mean, the KKK was essentially done after the, after the Civil War. And then mm-hmm. 1915 comes around, the second resurgence of the KKK. In the decade from 1915 to 1925, the membership grew in between 4 million to 6 million people. Like, that's crazy. That's, that is insane. That's, that's disgustingly crazy. Going from virtually like nothing in 1915 to almost 6 million people. Granted, I mean, those are rough estimates, and by 1930, it was suggested that those numbers significantly declined, but to think that that movie had that kind of a cultural impact, it's hard to understate, you know? It really is, and I can't think of a worse thing for it to have a cultural impact for. Yeah, sadly, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's part of 
American history, unfortunately. Def no, yeah, no, that's why we're talking about it, because if we ignore it, then we can't learn, you know? Yeah. So, kind of moving forward, what's really unfortunate, let's just add to the fire here, African-American performers also performed in blackface, particularly Burt Williams and George Walker. Burt Williams, actually, he became the first Zigfield African-American star, and he was their highest paid star. So these men and other black performers at the time, this was kind of the only way they could be involved in theatrical performance because black people could not perform without blackface, regardless of their skin color, if they were more lighter skinned or dark skinned, which is really, really sad and unfortunate. Again, it kind of makes me think of freaking West Side Story. Rita Moreno. Yeah. 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 Um, I was just thinking that. Jeez, like uh, terrible. Yeah. And, and that's that's over the span sad. of what the next 40 years. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, um, over the, like, I don't know, even know, 50? like over that. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. But what's interesting is that Frederick Douglass actually was highly against it. He was someone who was very outspoken against the use of blackface for African-American actors and would condemn it for being inauthentic. But he did acknowledge that it was somewhat seen as progress for African-American performers to be on stage. So you're, you're really in between a rock and a hard place there with trying to pave the way, but still having to go through these racist obstacles. Right, right. Yeah. Very famous example. We talked about it in our Singing in, Singing, in the, Singing in the Rain episode. Al Jolson was an extremely prominent white person that used blackface in his comedy acts. And it was featured in the famous film known as The Jazz Singer and the, in 1927. And The Jazz Singer is known as the first film to really use synchronized dialogue on screen. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is, is that blackface was actually nearing its extinction in 1927. Believe it or not, yes, it was widely used, but it turned a major corner in the 1930s. During the 1930s and onwards, you see a rapid decrease in blackface. And of course, the 1930s for the United States and the rest of the world coincides with the Great Depression. So that makes sense that performing arts change your focus is somewhere else you're not so high and mighty i guess yeah I, so i can i can see the where that change would coincide some well-known artists that performed in blackface include bing crosby fred astaire the three stooges joan crawford mickey rooney not a huge surprise considering oh. breakfast at tiffany's shirley temple and judy garland you're all canceled <laughs> all of you from the grave. You're all canceled. <laughs> no, I, I will say what's interesting about Shirley Temples is she was a kid. I mean, she was a kid. It wasn't when she was in her teenage years. She was young when they when they put her in blackface. Mm -hmm. And I believe her character was supposed to be a white character pretending to be a black character. You should watch some of the clips on YouTube of hers in particular. It's really quite jarring if you want to make yourself angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, we see some recent examples. Billy Crystal was kind of seen as using that exaggerated stereotype in the 2012 Oscars. There was the recent video by Jimmy Fallon that kind of resurfaced and he did apologize. But I hope people see that this hasn't disappeared. Yeah. I mean, Justin Trudeau, there's also 
Um, oh, the the editor Bon Appetit actually just resigned due to pictures of him in a Halloween costume for in a brownface. Mm. Yeah, who? Sarah Silverstein, I believe. Also, I mean, we're just calling people out at this point, but it, it's and again, it, and again, like, I don't want to like hold a mistake over someone's head forever. Yeah. But it's just important to recognize that this isn't a dead practice that right. this is it's, used it, by names that we know yeah exactly and like how recently those things happened like within the last 10 years it really it, it shows an interesting point i think with like where we're at i think this time i mean even considering just all the stuff that's going on in the outside world i think like we're really entering a dynamic period where we're gonna look at race and a lot i mean we already are but we're gonna continue to look at it in a very interesting, unique way. And hopefully it's all for the better. So yeah, hopefully we can take blackface in the lessons that we learned from it and just be more aware. Yeah. I mean, key takeaways, if this didn't make a ton of sense to you, if you're still <laughs> having questions, key takeaways from this segment is that it was built out of making fun and creating stereotypes. And it was used by white people to further marginalize the African-American community. And it was directly tied to the implementation of Jim Crow laws of segregating yeah. African-Americans. In the name. So those it's are in the some, name, folks. Right. Those are some of your key points there. Getting away from blackface. Glad we got that <laughs> out of the way. Let's yeah. move on to a few, I guess, brighter moments, if you can call them that. Absolutely. I would love to do that. <laughs> and some of those would be early breakthroughs in black cinema history. Let's do it. So one guy that I really want to highlight here is a black independent filmmaker who was born in Illinois. And his name is Oscar Michaud. And he, rightfully so, saw Birth of a Nation and was disgusted. So he followed up with his own film called... Within Our Gates, which came out in 1920. And this plot of this movie features an African-American woman, yay, representing women, who goes to the North in an effort to raise money for rural schools in the Deep South for poor Black children. She has a romance with a Black doctor that leads to revelations about her family's past and her mixed-race history. It really does portray racial violence, white supremacy, lynching of black people in the negative context that it should be shown and not in white glory. And this was produced, written, and directed by Michelle. And it is the oldest known surviving film made by an African-American director. This sounds like something that should come out this year. I would honestly. love a remake of this. I, you know what? I Just side note. Sorry, everyone. I think they should be looking at plots from the 1920s and be like, oh, that's really dynamic. Let's add newfangled special effects and technology to it. It sounds just, from the description, a lot deeper than Birth of a Nation. And I'm not just saying <laughs> yeah, that. I'm, I, absolutely. Like, this sounds like it has a lot more dynamism going about it. And just like... I don't know. I think things do go in cycles in a weird way. Time is flat, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing makes any sense. But a hundred years ago, like this came out. I mean, it would be kind of cool just to see what. True. 
you know, that amount of time has in, in like the change in the direction of this art. That could be cool. I think it'd be cool to see this in a modern take. It would be cool. I really, I, I would love that. If, if anyone's listening to this, this is something to consider, something to consider. Within our gates. Uh, within our right? gates. Yes. Within our gates, 1920. Oscar Michaud also founded the Michaud Film and Book Company of Sioux City in Chicago. That was his production company. Just kind of a rehash. We talk about it a little bit more in our King Kong podcast, but another shout out to Noble Johnson, Ooh. who with his brother started the Lincoln Motion Picture Company which was an all African-American production company and focused on African-American stories in a realistic light. None of that blackface garbage. Actual African-Americans with actual stories, real authentic portrayals. So very cool. I mean, I'm just a fan of Noble Johnson in general. I think it's, I think it's really He's cool. inspiring that, you know, I mean, what was it like 10 years after Birth of a Nation amidst like the rapid rise of the KKK and just all of this, you know, this cultural shifts in favor of white people that he was still able to go out on a limb and try to create a black production company, even though it wasn't as successful as his solo career. I think it's still admirable, you know, just like making the effort and, you know, going for it. But yeah, I mean, very distinguished man. Yeah, very, very awesome stuff. And I do want to point out something really fascinating, and that would be the production code standards, the do's and the don'ts that movies had to abide by. And if you look at two of the points, there's two interesting in particular, and that is white slavery and miscegenation. And miscegenation is in reference to sexual relationships between races, but it also is kind of like just mixing races in everyday life too, or it could be expanded to that, if you will. That is just so crazy though, about the white slavery, like black slavery is okay, but white slavery is a no. And yes, white slavery in particular alludes to women being enslaved, white women being enslaved, but just note how messed up that is. Um, Also, the U.S. passed something called the White Slave Traffic Act of 1910, which bans like transport of women for sex slavery, basically. But I don't know. I just think that that was really interesting that that was a focus, but it wasn't like, oh, we must accurately portray black stories. I don't know. These rules were written by white people. Yeah. So now I think it would be an awesome time to talk about some of our favorite stars, some kind of golden era and a little beyond that stars that really broke barriers for the African-American community. Yeah. How could we not start with Hattie McDaniel, the first African-American to not just woman, first African-American to win an Academy Award um, and be nominated, I believe. And another black actress did not win Best Supporting Actress until 1990 which is Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. That's First of all, holy smokes, like 1939 slash 40 to 1990, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think, I mean, just even 
referencing what we were talking a little bit about before, some black people might have been upset at Hattie McDaniel or whoever for, you know, taking these roles. She did get a lot of flack on taking her role, but yeah. she said that she wanted to got to start somewhere. Yeah. And it's like their career, you know, and you unfortunately have to deal with the, the time that you're living in and you, you have to adapt to it. And like, it was important, I think, for her to be an actress and like, I guess, just yeah. do the best job that she could. And you, you do have to keep in mind what roles were available to black actors at that time. They weren't leading roles they were those more degrading type of positions but and I will say though I mean I appreciate that she took it on for the sole purpose of someone not using blackface you know a white person not pretending to be black to me it means a lot to see someone with an actual understanding of what people that look like her went through to have her in that role I think is important and like I said earlier it, the portrayal of Mammy is such a stereotype. However, it, this was su such a deserving win to me. A, like the, besides the, you know, stereotypical elements of Mammy, she really does act as the voice of reason in this movie. Yes, it's not the physical voice that I think would be best for this character, but she does do the character does a lot and she makes that come alive particularly in the part where melanie comes to see the family and they're struggling with the death of their daughter like she gives such powerful strong she just gives it her all this was such an amazing win and it really is a shame that another black actress did not win this award until 1990 and whoopi goldberg kills in ghost i think she should have won sooner in the color purple for best lead but that's just me and yeah, so very cool. A huge, huge prominent figure in cinema history is Sidney Poitier. And he is the first black actor to be nominated for best actor in the movie, The Defiant Ones. And he won in 1963 for Lilies of the Field. So he became the first black man to win a competitive Oscar and the first Bahamian to win best actor. Yeah, and he was the first black actor to receive two acting nominations. So really cool. Besides besides just the prominence of being the first to kind of pave this way, he's just a terrific actor. Oh my gosh. In person. I've never <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the Defiant Ones. I have seen Lily in the Lilies in the Field and it's he amazing. I can't Um I also really like I believe it's called A Patch of Blue. That one's good, too. And guess who's coming to dinner? That one's good, too. Yeah, he's terrific. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's really interesting to look up someone like Sidney Poitier and then think about all the other black actors. And not that he monopolized the roles in a lot of ways, but I feel like it's just interesting to think about how many other great actors there could have been. Not to take any anything away from him, but just, you know, people get comfortable, I think, you know, looking to certain people for roles when there might have been more. So I think that's something interesting to just think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely terrific performances. I highly recommend you checking out his work if you haven't. Dorothy Dandridge was the first African-American woman to be nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. 
She did not win. A black woman did not win that award until later, but more on that to come. Something I really want to point out here is that there has not been one black director that has won the award of best director for the Academy Awards. There have been only six best director nominations for African-Americans. Wow. Six. And no, not one winner. Some of those being John Singleton for Boys in the Hood in 1991. Actually, that would would have been good. And he was the youngest person ever to be nominated in this category. So when he was 24 years old, that's that's cool. That's that's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) Really cool. I mean, yeah, very, very cool for John Singleton. Lee Daniels for Precious. Steve McQueen, not not the like Steve McQueen from The Great Escape, but Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Not not that Steve McQueen. Yeah. Yeah. Steve McQueen for Twelve Years a Slave, which is a very good movie and very, very philosophical if you're into that sort of genre. And oh, he was the first black director whose film won an Oscar for Best Picture, though. Shame he well, I'm trying to think who won that year. Anyway, but yeah, so that's kind of progress, progress, if you will. And that would have been 2013. We have Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. And we have Jordan Peele for Get Out, phenomenal yeah. one. And we have Spike Lee, who was finally nominated in 2018 for Black Klansman. There has only been one Black director to win any Academy Award of any sort, and that is Roger Ross Williams in 2009 for Music by Prudence, which is a documentary short film, documentary short subject. What uh, what black director do you think is going to win first? That's an interesting question. I would love, and I mean love, to see Spike Lee. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. I... I think he's got so much to offer. I think his movies are brilliant. I I would like it to be him. I think Jordan Peele for sure has the potential. Or it could be a totally unknown person that I don't know about. You know, you just you just don't know until that magic movie hits. But I do think it's sooner than we think. I do think that it'll happen quicker quicker than this timeline suggests. I, I was sure. going to say, I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that Barry Jenkins, Jordan Peele, nor Spike Lee won in, I mean, three, any of those three years, especially for Moonlight with Barry Jenkins, because yeah, like, I don't know. That's, that's, like, when you win Best like, Picture, I'm not saying like Best Director is necessarily like a given, but they come like I don't they, know. You just they think. they do usually they do many a time go hand in hand. It's it's always weird to me when uh, when when that doesn't happen when best director doesn't win alongside with best picture. I will say though I think there's a difference though for best leading actor and best leading actress. I sometimes find that the best of those performances aren't necessarily the best picture of the year because I think that best picture encompasses like a lot, like every element, but I feel like those awards are kind of more in like a very character driven movie, if you will. I think Spike Lee going up against Roma and Alfonso Cuaron, Cuaron. which I actually, I think Roma should have won. Yeah. I've got to say. Yeah, it's but or or I don't know 
wait, was that was the same year as Black Klansmen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that was a really tough year. I, yeah. It's the fun stuff. It's the fun stuff to debate. But yeah, I mean, whenever it happens, you know, it'll be monumental. And just know, just know that it hasn't happened yet. Like I think that's important to know, just in general too. Absolutely. Keep that in mind next time you watch these movies during award season for sure so then let's talk about some modern winners that we really love yes we did mention quite a few but there's some at least that i think we both want to point out mine my first number one that i'd want to mention is mahershala ali who is the first muslim actor to win an oscar which is pretty groundbreaking in and of itself um he won in 2016 for moonlight and he won again in 2018 for the green book and he's the first african-american actor to win an oscar two oscars in the same category that's awesome let me just sing his praises for a second i think he is one of my favorite actors of the current era i think he's beyond talented if you watch him and anything he is he like his characters are so dynamically different for each other that you have to do a double take of like, wait, this is the same guy. His range is just out of this world because he's funny, he's serious, intense, like vulnerable. He, he's just, I don't know. I just like, I love him. He's just so talented. So check out some of his stuff. It's not a movie, but his work in the newest season of True Detective is dynamite. So just another kind of non-Moonlight, non-Green Book recommendation. Um, Halle Berry, first African-American actress to win Best Actress in a Leading Role So for Monsters Ball. She won that in 2002. That's not that long ago, right? Yeah, 18 years. Yeah. I, yeah, a while ago, but not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The century. It was within yeah, the century. The century. <laughs> and Jordan Peele, first African American to win Best Writing for an original screenplay yeah. and for a debut film. Wow. This guy, like, and I actually just I just watched a video he did on just kind of coming up with the story of writing a thriller such as Get Out. And it, like his mind just crafts through it so well in his explanation of why he did what he does is phenomenal and you can totally see why this deserved to win i definitely think it deserved to win that award that year and yeah like i can't wait to see what more he comes up with i just so admire him for opening up the genre of horror thrillers psychological thrillers to the african-american community because i do think that's a genre that's very been closed off to kind of white groups so very yeah. cool yeah i mean he for, for me, Jordan Peele, obviously, <laughs> I got to mention Key and Peele. Like, that was how I became familiar with him. And if you've never heard of Key and Peele, if you haven't seen the sketches, they're unbelievably funny. You would never guess that Jordan would have, I guess, like, the range to go from that. Yeah, comedy to, to horror. So dark. <laughs> like, get out. So And us also. Yeah, so... I think it just speaks to his, yeah, his range, him as an actor, like his mind. It's, it's great. Like he's very in tune, I think with just like multiple things going on in society. And he's able to, I think really portray 
some pretty crazy topics and some ideas in in very unique ways. So yeah, love Jordan. Love Jordan Peele. Yeah, for sure. Kobe Bryant. R.I.P. Uh, we, you know, are more recently passed Oscar winner. He's the first African-American to win an Academy Award for animated short film. And I just love that he transitioned to telling stories. Cause, and he has some great books out there, too. The book that I would recommend is called Legacy and the Queen. That came out in 2019. And that's like a YA book. But it shows a female black athlete who's in her youth overcoming obstacles, which it's so important that that representation is out there. And and if you're a white person, I recommend you to be looking at more diverse characters and books for sharing with your kids and films, of course. And last kind of, not a curveball, but kind of an interesting one I want to know is Ruth E. Carter, who is the first African-American woman to win Best Costume Design. And she so deserved it for Black Panther. When I watched this, when I when they were kind of going through all the nominees, I'm like, there is literally no one else that can win the award this year. Yeah. Her work in that film is so beautiful. It's one of my favorite parts of that movie. And she so deserved to win. So... Yeah. Yay, Ruthie yeah. Carter. Let's talk about Black Panther for a second. <laughs> I'm one of those guys who, you know, like, I don't just say Black Panther is my favorite Marvel movie just because, like, it might be the PC thing. I actually love almost 99% of Black Panther. The 1% that I don't like, controversial, controversial, is Michael B. Jordan. I think his acting in it is absolutely terrible but Chadwick <laughs> like, Boseman like you're, you're you just gained so many enemies right now <laughs> yeah I mean like I don't even care I I really don't think I, I I even googled it I was like why is Michael B. Jordan such a bad actor and there's like this little reddit thread of everyone <laughs> who thinks that and it's like it's not it's not a lot of people but I'm one of them and <laughs> we're, we're all like it was distracting but I mean the rest of Black Panther is just beautiful it's it's, it's such a you know, marvel like, i think like that, marvel the marvel film wow yeah, i mean lame. the scene where t'challa goes to the ancestral planes might be my favorite scene in any marvel movie i think it like i could honestly get emotional just like thinking about it right now and like the music i think it was really the first time that i was introduced and i didn't even know this when i was watching it for the first time but there was a woman in one of my uh my classes my senior year who was part of Black Lives Matter and like very, very involved with it. She was one, I think, one of the original people who who founded it. But she talked about Afrofuturism and you know yeah. what what it is as a genre. Like me as a, as a white guy, I, I'm not gonna probably go out of my way to like look that up, but I knew that I loved it, like whatever it was. And so just even getting that exposure through Black Panther and 99% of the movie, which I love. <laughs> like, it, it was really, really cool for me and really made me want to continue diving deeper into that. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I actually kind of fell out of the Marvel fa- franchise for quite a bit of time, and this is the movie that brought me back in. It yeah. just felt so fresh and beautiful and like a universal, very, very hero of a thousand faces just i love that it just felt classic but but a great spin so yeah i i am with you on that one i really love it 
what a perfect segue into some of some more of our favorite movies that really put an emphasis on black characters and actors and directors. Carmen Jones, 1954. That is, to me, one of, if not the earliest musicals with two black leads. I've really seen it, uh, been blown up on the Instagram lately, and I'm not as familiar with it, but she is just, the dandridge is just phenomenal in that movie. And Harry Belafonte is in it, who is like my favorite singer ever. He does Jump in the Line. And yeah, I love his music. So that's a great one. Django Unchained in 2012 is another awesome one. I, okay, I, I like Quentin Tarantino films. I'm not, I'm not like a diehard fan. He's a great storyteller, though. I just, for me, violence isn't my favorite thing for me personally to watch in a movie. I will say this is probably one of, if not my favorites of his, in addition to like a Pulp Fiction. And, yeah, it's so, like it's Jango's so like great. it's it's funny. It it's like satirical. Like it's this great new age western. It's wonderful. He he has this great moment. If you haven't seen it, with that involves the KKK. I won't spoil it, but it happens <laughs> in like the first half of the movie, and it is just amazing. It's amazing. It's so funny. It he he. It does a really good job, I think, of telling a black character story. I really do. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which won Best Animated Picture in 2018. Okay, so when this movie came out, a lot of my friends were like, oh my god, you got to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, you got to see it. And I was kind of like, I don't know. It's animated. It's newer. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to watch it. And I don't know. It was on TV or something. And I just decided to give it a go. And I was actually blown away by I how was, much I liked it. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah. It, awesome. I think it's the best animated movie to come out since the first Incredibles, I would say. Whoa. Yeah. Like, Hot I'll, take. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll <laughs> say it. I think, I think the times match up. When did the first Incredibles come out? 2004. Yeah. Since the first Incredibles, I would say that that has probably been, in my opinion, the best animated movie to come out. It, it's just stunning. And Everything. talk about the soundtrack. Oh my God. Sound, soundtrack's amazing. Everything about it, I think, is just really, really well done. I mean, it's supposed to essentially look like a comic book. It's an animated yeah. comic book that if you pause it on any frame, you could, you could frame it and it would be beautiful. It'd be stunning. And it's definitely one of the movies out of all of these that I regret not seeing in the theaters because I, oh, I can't even imagine the scene where he jumps off the Empire State Building, like there, oh my gosh, there's a video on YouTube that maybe we'll link, but it, it talks about the computer animation, the like everything that went into making the movie look the way it does. It's mind blowing. So strongly, strongly recommend that. Very cool. Oh, you know why? Also, this is just something I thought of kind of, <laughs> sorry, my mind just went back to Quentin Tarantino and Django. I, wanted to also point out I, sh I didn't really know where to fit this in but the Spike Lee movie Jungle Fever is an interesting film for sure but I just wanted to highlight Samuel L. Jackson's performance in that movie it is a shame an absolute crime that he was not nominated for an Oscar for that film he was so good in that he was so good in Pulp Fiction yeah, again, I just wanted to highlight another actor 
Samuel L. Jackson, you're amazing. Back to movie recommendations. Get Out, like we mentioned, 2017. Definitely watch it. It is has it's a brilliant story. Like it, it's just so fresh and modern, and the character of Chris Washington is just like awesome, terrific. I just I look at the poster and I get like chills, or I even think about it. You know, it's like the tears streaming down his face. Oh, I'm I'm such a sucker for movie art, movie posters. Yeah, me too. That's, that's a great one. It's a it's a really nice recent poster. Definitely watch that. I do recommend Us as well if you're looking for another horror genre. And what's interesting about Us is the story is really similar to a Twilight Zone episode. So it has a very old school concept feel to it. And something I just saw, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw that 20th Century, I believe, came out and said that they are making The Hate You Give, which is a 2018 movie featuring Amanda Stenberg is going to be available for free on all streaming platforms. That is definitely a movie to check out because it does cover the topic of police brutality on African-American individuals. And yeah, that's a great educational film if you want something modern. And there are just so many movies. I I know I, I wish we could do a three-hour podcast on how many to do there were a few that there's so many i thought that I, I missed out on from last week i mean our, our, our dad always wants us to talk about uh guess who's coming to dinner yeah and uh, another uh sydney Poitier film yeah i mean i think we mentioned that a few times but guess who's coming to dinner it is about kind of both races kind of coming to terms with their children's interracial romance and potential marriage. But yeah, and Spencer Tracy does give a very poignant speech at the end of the movie. Nice, nice. More film, um, The Wiz, the 1978 Wiz. That, the Wiz is cool because it's Broadway's African-American interpretation of The Wizard of Oz. There are some awesome songs in that one. Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, what a cast. Check it out if you haven't. That's one of the best musicals I could recommend. And I would recommend, okay, this this isn't like a fiction movie, but I do recommend the movie 13th. It's a documentary. You can watch it on Netflix. I was actually required to watch this for one of my classes when I was in grad school. And that was the first time I watched it. And I'm so grateful I did because it really shows how disproportionate the criminal justice system is in terms of white individuals and black individuals and the history of treatment. I, yeah, that's just, that's one that you have to watch. I think if you're trying to educate yourself a little bit more about American culture, black Klansmen, of course, the kind of more recent Spike Lee movie that came out. If Beale street could talk Regina King, if you won Best Supporting Actress for that movie. And, yeah, and she is so cool. I've been watching her movies since I was little, I feel like. And to see her win an Academy Award finally is awesome. Moonlight 2016, that is a great plot movie if you're looking for a movie with an awesome plot. Malcolm X 1992, that's a Spike Lee movie featuring Denzel Washington, another terrific actor that we just cannot forget 
And you know what? Let me put this out there for you. If you're someone with kids and you kind of want to introduce the topic of racism to your kids, The Color of Friendship is an awesome movie. If you can find that, I don't know where you could stream it. Maybe Amazon Prime but or and YouTube and Disney Plus. That would be a great one that's about it takes place in 1977 it's it came out in 2000 but it takes place in 1977 and it's about two girls of different races coming together as friends and learning about each other so yeah that one's a good one that's a good kid-friendly one yeah and then maybe even a few from youtube you want to talk about those Uh, yes okay okay so dear basketball the kobe bryant film that we mentioned earlier no is a great one and i believe after he passed away i did believe that they made it available free to the public that Mm. should that should be easy to find on youtube if not you can um google it and i'm i'm sure you can it's out there on some platform yeah cool thing for me so my personal i guess connection to dear basketball is two and a half years ago maybe three years ago i went to a john williams concert at the hollywood bowl and I actually got to see um, Kobe like narrate to your basketball uh, That's to, cool. to, to the Hollywood Bowl with John Williams and his entire orchestra there. So that that was just an unbelievable experience. I think like it, it might have been the year or two after his retirement. So it was just great to see him like get emotional and just how he delivered it. And um, yeah, it was just, it was great to see two legends sort of in their respective craft come together and, and make something that was truly special, very enduring. So yeah, it's good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, was, we miss Kobe. Okay, and this one, this one is so watchable. If you have not a ton of time on your hands to watch a full out movie, do yourself a favor and please, please, please go watch Hair Love on YouTube. This is the a winner of Best Animated Feature Short for the Academy Awards. I love Hair Love. I love this short film. I, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. The second I watched it, I think I texted all my friends a link to it. I'm like, you need to watch this right now. It is such a cute story it's one of those where it's really sweet and nice and then you can kind of see the little plot twist coming but then even when it hits it's still emotional oh my gosh i love this movie so much watch hair love on youtube it is phenomenal i remember i think the director i want to get his name or maybe it was the animator matthew a cherry i remember him seeing after it won a lot of commotion on twitter and um he had put out a tweet like years, years before that yeah. he was going to win that Oscar, like that specific Oscar. And so um, it was it was cool to just see that, you know, through the years, that determination still persisted and it really paid off. Like it's it's a it's a cool, cool little short. Oh, my gosh. No, I love it. And it really does because its purpose is to come in at a different angle and counter the stereotypes against black fathers. And. I mean, what a what a beautiful way it does of doing that. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I love it. Love its death. And uh, Issa Rae is in it. So there you go. There's kind of like a star <laughs> attached to it. Good stuff. If, that, if, if my 
promotion wasn't enough. So, wow, we covered a lot, a lot <laughs> I yeah. feel like, but not but not nearly enough. I know we didn't. I know we left things out. I know there's more we can can and should say. We'll aim to do another another of these sometime and keep celebrating African Americans in Hollywood and in all different roles, not just acting, actors and actresses, but directors and crew and storytellers. Um, there's just so much, so much amazing work out there and it should not be neglected or forgotten stuff from the past and stuff today. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we yeah. just, I'm sure there were plenty of moments where we sounded very white on this podcast i know um, but hopefully you know you guys can stick with us and you know forgive me for not liking michael b jordan and black panther but you know <laughs> i think I, I am really thankful for kind of what's going on because it is making me like focus more on a broader spectrum of art and something that i don't Absolutely. necessarily pay attention to so i think i'm very thankful for that just personally yeah, and for me, as an old film lover, I think I could do a much better job of really looking at better early representations of the African-American community in film, accurate representations of that, and just knowing how far this community has come in this this particular facet of history. It's really, really mind-blowing, and I, 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 I've been learning more things during this time i hope you guys learned something either listening to us or just what's out there on social media just keep educating yourselves that's one of the best things we can do right now definitely very well said emma anything else before we sign off no we just we love and appreciate your support and we're always open to suggestions for how we can better diversify our content yeah definitely as always, guys, thank you so much for all the love, the support. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Five stars, please. Don't forget to check out our social medias, Old Soul Movie Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You already know what's up. Uh, Emma, do you have anything before we sign off? Nope, just uh, keep taking care of yourselves. Be safe and love each other. Until next time, guys. Take care. <laughs>